This is a production by One and All Media. For more, head to oneandall.media. Today. 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 With Jeff Fines. We are taking the gospel to the world. Pastor, apologist, and Bible teacher. One truth that will be delivered in love and compassion, connecting every one person to all that God has promised them. Today. Today. Today with Jeff Fines. Welcome back to Today with Jeff Fines. My name is Aaron. I'm one of the members on the team here at One and All Media. And I'm glad that you're joining me again to finish this message that Pastor Jeff started last time looking at Jesus from the perspective of John chapter 14, where Jesus is claiming that he's the only path to God. He himself is God's representative on earth, fully God and fully man, the only way that you and I can be reconciled to the Father. Now, if you missed part one or you wanna hear more from Pastor Jeff, you can find our podcast, Today with Jeff Finds, by searching for Today with Jeff Finds wherever you get your podcasts. Just hit subscribe and you won't miss a single episode. Now, let's rejoin Pastor Jeff as he reflects on a friendly email debate he's having. I had an Australian that I'm debating right now in a friendly debate over to email, and I always respond with gentleness, but he keeps saying, your God did a horrible job creating this world. And of course, I get him into discussions about, wait a minute, you don't believe in God. How can you be mad at somebody that doesn't exist? And so we go on and on talking, but his, the, the fallacy in his statement is the only way you can say God did a poor job is if you know God's ultimate objective. What if God's ultimate objective is to give you just enough good stuff to let you know he's here and to compel you, but enough bad stuff to make sure you don't put your faith and trust in this world because it's in decay? Well, it depends on what his objective is. You just have to admit that you don't know what it is. But what Jesus does tell you is that he's able to take all the chaos of your life and bring beauty, pattern, and design to it. No matter what's happening in your life right now, He can do amazing things with it. Now, for me in my life, that has been the sustaining truth for me all of my life. Some of you look at me and you think I've had an easy life. You have no idea of my life. You just have no idea of some of the stuff that I've gone through and still am. But I can tell you that story of Job, the reason I mention it all the time is because it has sustained me for a long time. Everything's happened to Job. He's lost everything. His family, his sons, his daughters, his cattle, his ranch, his property, his own physical flesh. He's a deterioration. And he cries out to God and he says, God, if you would just, if I could just understand pain and suffering exhaustively, if I could just understand why you're allowing this to happen to me, then I'll be able to deal with it. And finally, God interrupts him and says, whoa. Job, there's a thousand things that happen every day in your life that you don't fully understand, that you readily accept. You've never been to the depths of the ocean. You don't know how I have, you don't know how the creatures that I've made in my creativity survive down there. You don't, you've never been to the depths of the constellations. You do realize 
that as wise as science is, and you've heard me say I'm not an enemy to science. I think the more we learn scientifically, the more we learn about God. But you do realize that we only understand about 4% of the entire universe. You do realize that, right? There's so much more, so much beyond us. And so God says to Job, Job, there's a thousand things you don't understand, the constellations, the oceans, the depths of the ocean. You don't understand even how the sun rises and sets. You know that it does, but you don't know everything about it. You don't know every detail about how a beast gives birth to her young in the wilderness. And he says, Job, your pain is no different. There's a point at which we're finite. He's infinite. And the promise that we give is that when we go through chaotic times, that there's a prevailing presence, maybe not an exhaustive understanding, but a prevailing presence that God will give to us to enable us not only to go through it, but he reveals himself and who he truly is during those moments. That's why at the end of the book of Job, what does Job say? Wow, God, before I just heard of you, I knew some things about now I've seen you with my own eyes. And then he says, I know my Redeemer lives and in the end he will stand upon the earth. And I can tell you the thing that sustains me is to know that my life is not random or meaningless or filled with that. It's filled with meaning and purpose and design. And although I may not understand it, there is someone who can take a disadvantage, turn it into an advantage and use it for the glory of God. And sometimes it's those chaotic moments that will save my life. So the hope for everyone beyond these walls is to understand there's a Savior who loves you and who will travel with you through all of life's endeavors and will be able to take all of that chaos and bring beauty and pattern and design into it. It's not only that, though, folks. He also is the only hope of the world because only Jesus can cure the ills of the human heart. The Bible says that your heart, it's going to be hard for some of you, your heart is wicked. You're not good. Every time I hear somebody say, man is basically good, it's only his behavior that lets him down. We're not good. You don't even keep your own moral law. Forget about the Bible. You'll say, oh, you know what? You shouldn't gossip and slander people, but you do. You should forgive people, but you don't. You should not step on others to get what you want, but you do. I mean, the most argued against biblical truth is that there is no one righteous, but it's the most empirically verifiable. Just follow everyone around. Every time I go, stay with me, every time I go to a foreign country, I'm always looking for a story I can tell. And you got to be careful. Depending, I was just in India, so I had, to, I had to take out all my cow jokes, right? You don't tell jokes about cows in India. You know, you don't want to use an illustration of the rodeo. You know, the whole idea of the rodeo to the Indian. Think about what they're thinking. Cows pulling what? So you try to find something that's universal. And I've got this story that I tell. I'll make it quick because I know you've heard it. But it's, it's the bodybuilder who goes and he looks for a job. And he finds there's a job at the local zoo. And they want him to dress up like an orangutan because the local orangutan has died. And the school children are coming the next day to see the orangutan. So they put an orangutan suit on this bodybuilder. And he fills it out well. And he gets paid to do it. And he's far enough back from the children that they think he's the real thing. And so he's swinging on the branches. He's working out, you know, doing pull-ups, push-ups, everything. And they're throwing bananas and nuts at him and he's eating the bananas and the nuts. He's having a good old time and he just gets a little bit too rambunctious and swings over the tree, over the wall, into the lion's den. And at that point, he realizes what's happened. 
And he takes his mask off and he says, help, help. And the kids say, wow, this orangutan talks. And he says, help, help, only to discover that the lion looks at him and says, if you don't shut up, we'll both lose our jobs. <laughs> that story works everywhere. It works everywhere. Talking animals, kids, it's got everything they have to have in a successful story. But the reason I use it in different countries is because of this. This is us. You and I go through our lives trying to do the best we can. We hit obstacle after obstacle, chaos after chaos, until finally we come to the end of ourselves and we take our mask off and we say, help, help, only to discover everybody else is playing the same game we are. People don't call you back. People step on you to get what they want. And before you complain about how bad the world is, take a look in the mirror. Let me ask you something. You ever told the lie? What's that make you? A liar. You ever taken something that didn't belong to you? What's that make you? Thief. Have you ever defended yourself when you knew you were wrong? What's that make you? My mother-in-law. Okay, truly, truly. <laughs> She's visiting right now. <laughs> Folks, that's called sacrificing your future for the pleasure of the present. It felt good when I said it, but I will pay for it. <laughs> Seriously, though, you've never defended yourself when you knew you were wrong? You're, you're self-aggrandizing. You, the Bible says the heart of man is wicked. Our hearts are wicked. We need help. The answer to the world... Listen, let me say it again. No political party is going to solve your problems. No social party, no economic. What the world needs is Jesus. You need him. Our leaders need him in San Dimas and Gloria and Covina. The world needs Jesus. And here's why. Here's why. Okay? When God gave the law, there were one of four responses to it. Number one. There were those who hated it. I hate the law. I hate it. I don't want to live within anybody's parameters, especially not God's. Then there were those who accommodated it. They said, okay, I like the law. Law is good, but they had never had any intention of living under it. They just wanted everybody else to. And then there's, there's those who hypocritically live under it. They'll say, yeah, the law is good, and I keep it perfectly. You liar. And then there are those who love it. They love the law, and they're frustrated, though, that they can't keep it the way they want to. That is the Apostle Paul who wrote two-thirds of your New Testament. He said, I love the law. My conscious mind agrees with the law, but I'm weak in the flesh, and I don't do the thing I want to do. And he comes to the end of himself, and he says, who will rescue me from this body of sin and death? And then he writes a powerful passage, and he basically says this in Romans chapter 7, verse 25, thanks be to God, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. What's he saying? Did you ever see Star Trek? Rathacon? Do you remember the Genesis effect? Where they would take this torpedo and shoot it into a dead, lifeless planet and bring it to life? And then they'd have plant and environment growth? Jesus says, I'm not only going to die for your sins to put you in a right relationship with God, I'm going to fire a spiritual torpedo on the inside of you. I'm going to come and live on the inside and I'm going to change you from the inside out. Do you remember Pravda? Pravda was the, uh, the, basically the news agency uh, in Russia in the early 90s 
that had a circulation of over 11 million. Russia was crumbling, and the editors of Pravda sent a letter to some of the religious leaders in America, like Billy Graham, and I think Joyce Meyer was in that. And there was a long list of others, R.C. Sproul. And I want to read you an excerpt of the letter that they wrote while Russia is disintegrating. They said this, Dear sirs, we don't know how to motivate people to show compassion. We tried raising money for the children of Chernobyl, but the average Russian citizen would rather spend his money on drink. How do you reform and motivate people? How do you make them be good? How can you encourage people to be good in a, among a people who had debunked God for the last 70 years? You can't legislate morality. Martin Luther King told us that. He knew that. You can't force a person not to be a racist. There has to be a change happen on the inside. That's why the kingdom of God is called a seed that goes on the inside and grows and wells up within you and changes not only what you do, but what you want to do. Gives you the ability to see things you've never seen, feel things you've never felt, and a sense of volition to do things and overcome things you never thought you could overcome. This is what the world needs. You can't force people to be good. They need an injection of the power of the Spirit of God to live on the inside of them. David Livingston took a, a jagged edge stone and wrote in a rock just before his death, Christ in me, the hope of glory. That's the only hope mankind has, and I believe that. I believe that about me, about you, and everyone else. And I love people, and I want, I've got something that I want to give them. It's a gift, it's a treasure that will change our world. That's why at our church, we believe that everyone should be welcome here. We believe that no matter who you are, where you've been from, what you've done, whatever it is, that you're welcome here, that we accept you from the time you come in that door. You're one of us. Now, we believe that if, if you come in and you meet us, that you'll see the transformation that's taking place in our life. And that will compel you to want to know what it is we believe. And in believing, when you believe, then guess what? The Spirit of God comes in you and injects you with power. And he's the one that will transform you from the inside out. But if we say no, that only people who are like us can come in, what, what, but what possibility is there, according to Scripture, to live a godly life without the power of the Spirit in you? So why do you expect people to live a godly life with the power of the Spirit not in them? They can do relatively good, morally speaking, but to live the kind of life that changes a world and changes a family and changes a church and a nation, you need the Spirit of God on the inside living and moving and working in you. Paul said, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That's his hope. These are my little friends. We've, we go way back, these guys. We've been doing this together for a long time. And I use these because it's the best way I can illustrate. The Apostle Paul in Romans 6 and 7 tries to explain to us the battle that really takes place. And this little guy represents sin. So Paul gives sin a personality and said, look at this guy. And the reason he's naked is because that according to Paul, this entity called sin cannot fulfill his evil desires unless we lend the members of our body to him. So he asks for our eyes and our nose and our mouth and our ears. And he says, don't go on lending the members of your body to sin to fulfill his evil desires. So most of us, somehow think it's us and this guy against God, but it's not. This represents you, and some of you look just like him. This, this represents you and me, 
This is sin, and it's not, it's not me and you and this guy against God. It's me and God against this guy. And with the help of God and supernatural injection of the power of the Holy Spirit, we are able to do much more than we ever thought we were capable of doing. And so he is our only hope. You can legislate things and you can try to force people to be good and you can say you ought to do this. It's not going to work. Our job, if we truly love people, we're going to introduce them to Jesus because we believe he will walk with them through pain and suffering. He will be a prevailing presence. He will take a disadvantage, work it into an advantage and use it for God's glory. And he will inject them with the power of the Spirit Able them to be a better father, a better husband, a better wife, a better leader. And then finally, last. The thing that we're ultimately looking for, only Jesus can give, and we're looking for a hope. The hope for which ultimately we're all searching. Only Jesus offers the hope for which everyone is ultimately searching. Look, what are you looking for? I'm almost done here. What are you looking for in your life? You say, oh, I'm looking for more money. I'm looking for bigger houses. I'm looking for more stuff for success. Yeah, you are. But that's just the means to the ultimate end for which you're searching. What you're really looking for, what you're really looking for is what? Security and safety to know you're going to be okay. What you're truly looking for, and this is what you discover as you mature and grow older, what you're really looking for is a love and a life that never ends. There's only one that even claimed to come back from the dead, to defeat death, so that you and I would live forever. Only one. And if there are some of you who are skeptics in the room, I wish I had more time to go through. This is not some kind of philosophical leap or some kind, some kind of, of uh, uh, evidence void of uh, any kind of, or some kind of faith void of any evidence. This is... This is something that many of us make as an intellectual decision. There are things you have to contend with. You have to contend with why there are no Jewish nor Roman polemic resources denying an empty tomb of Jesus who was crucified under Pontius Pilate. You have to at least deal with that. Nobody denied that the tomb was empty. There are theories put forth why the tomb was empty after Jesus was crucified by the Romans. I know that. The swoon theory that he didn't really die. There's a gazillion others. You've got to ask yourself why 15,000 Jews overnight steeped in 2,000 years of tradition suddenly started meeting on the first day of the week rather than the Sabbath because the first day of the week, according to John, by the time he writes Revelation, was the day celebrated as the day Jesus rose from the dead. So if you ever wondered why we move from Saturday to Sunday, there's your answer. You've got to wonder why if the Romans didn't want to snuff out, if they wanted to snuff out Christianity once and for all, all they had to do was take the body of Jesus and roll it right downtown Jerusalem. You'd have never heard of Jesus again. There are reasons we believe in the resurrection and the historical Jesus. And if it's true, it changes everything, doesn't it? Everything. You do have a life and a love that will never end. I said earlier in my sermon, I had an Australian friend that said God did a poor job in creation. Do you know there's a verse in Romans 8 that says basically this, that the the, the creation has been subjected to frustration in hope. And that Greek word is metaotes, which is a word that means there was the creation had an original purpose, but now it has a secondary subsequent purpose. 
The original purpose was to draw man into relationship, but because the highest value in the universe is love, God still gave man the freedom to choose or reject him. If you want to know why the tree was put in the garden, there's your answer. Love is not real unless there's the choice not to love. The tree's in the garden so that man has a legitimate choice to pursue God or to reject him. God sees in his foreknowledge what man will do with the free will, so he sends Jesus to die on a cross to redeem everything that was lost in the fall. And so now, what one man's sin did, Romans 5, Jesus' death on the cross restored it all. You have a life and a faith that will last forever. And the reason we go to take the message of Jesus is because we do love people. Tell me, could there be better news than you will live with God forever? Is Is there better news than that? I mean, even if you won the lottery, you might jump up and down for a while. But why aren't we jumping down every day? It hasn't made its way way down deep yet. And the circumstances of the world is still more real to you than the truth of what Jesus has done for you. And that's why we don't shout and praise and dance as we should. William Randolph Hearst, this is is the real end. You've had the fake end. You know there's always one or two of them. This is the real one. He was a well-known American publisher and tycoon, and he never allowed anybody to speak about death in his presence. Okay? But he had a housekeeper. And when she realized that he was going to retire, she came to him one day and she said, you know, I just don't understand it. I don't understand why you won't allow anybody to talk about death. I want you to know something. I'm looking forward to death. And William Randolph first looked at her and said, how could you look forward to death? You have no idea what's on the other side. And she goes, I may not have any idea what's on the other side, but I know who's on the other side, and that's good enough for me. Please never forget this. Every time you hear me say one hope, now I want you to think of these things. Jesus gives us a prevailing presence and takes a disadvantage, works it into an advantage, and uses it for God's glory. Two, He puts a spiritual torpedo in us that enables us to do much more than we ever thought we could do. And three, he gives us a love and a life that will last forever. So every time you hear me say, one hope, that's what I'm talking about. And there's nothing better. Father, thank you for your love for us and for the way that you work in our lives. We we are in awe of what you're able to do with a life that humbles themselves and says, God, I want you in my life. It's amazing how you forgive and give grace and mercy, that that's your nature, and that then you offer us something that is so valuable, a prevailing presence to face the circumstances of our lives, knowing that you're large and in charge, you're sovereign over the universe, and you just have more knowledge than we do, and you know how you're going to work everything together for your good and your purpose. That it is no longer we who live, but Christ who lives in us. And we're able not only to change what we do, but change what we want to do. And Father, thank you that we do have a love and a life that will never end. And my prayer in Jesus' name. You've been listening to Today with Jeff Fines. 
Next time, we'll bring you a new message from Pastor Jeff. You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff Finds wherever you listen to podcasts. You make me Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines. This is a production by One and All Media. For more, head to oneandall.media.